welcome to Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we are talking about chapter five of The Subtle Knife, Airmail Paper. okay how are you i'm good i think <laughs> you've had another traumatic week haven't you yeah just everything's happening at, at, at the moment i mean lockdown 2.0 fucking brilliant classic love to see fingers it. fingers crossed we lock down well and are able to potentially see our families for christmas but i i'm not crossing my fingers or anything one of our last evenings of freedom we thought it's going to be a while before we get to see each other again. So I went to meet Faye in the pub, an outdoor section of a pub to like actually see your face before we isolate for a couple of months. And I fell over a curb and twisted my ankle really badly and then have been just immobile for a few days. She did a fall. Uh, I did a big fall. I have a pretty epic bruise. I think this is the most epic bruising I've had from a twisted ankle ever. It is pretty epic. But I, yeah, I like persevered and hobbled. We went to the BFI Socially Distanced Season 2, Episode 1, His Dark Materials premiere, which is really fun and really weird and socially distanced. so fun. But it was weird. But yeah, I suppose, like, it's so weird because if you think about when this episode comes out... Our first episode covering the TV series will already be out. The The timing of us recording is strange. It is, yeah. But we'll talk more about the experience of the premiere in our first episode of our wrap-up of the, of the season two episode. So you'll probably have heard about that experience. But for now, na 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 na, we've seen it and you have it. <laughs> <laughs> well. But by the time you hear it... You will have seen it, and we will have seen it, and we'll all be on the same page. People in the UK will have seen it anyway. The poor people in the US don't get it for like a week after. (laughs) Rude. I'm sorry. But anyway, Rich hobbled around the premiere, bless her. Yeah, and then the next day, I was just standing in the kitchen, and my ankle went out from under me, and I rolled it again. Oh, God. I just can't life right now. No, it's not going well for you. In general, I've been an absolute scatterbrain. The fact that we're going into like another lockdown in the UK is kind of not even a blip on my radar right now because the rest of my brain has just been really scattered and like I've just really low on spoons. I think a lot of it is the fact that the sun is disappearing. My favourite season, Halloween is over and like Christmassy stress is starting to come in because whilst it's like a lovely cosy season, it's a lot of dark nights and a lot of like pressure to be having the most festive fun and I I just want to be spooky still and like (laughs) me too I agree I like Christmas but I am the same as you my favorite season is autumn and it's kind of come into a close ish and yeah it's past Halloween it's past my birthday now I'm just 29 and that's it (laughs) oh Faye everyone wish a two weeks belated happy birthday to Faye (laughs) thank you thank you because it was her birthday yesterday it was on the 4th of November I turned the ripe old age of 29 yes 29 feeling fine (laughs) exactly Uh, yeah feeling fine if 
feeling fine is a general sense of dread of this day of the world then <laughs> yes i'm feeling fine uh, yeah everyone's just having to factor in a looming sense of impending doom to whatever their regular everyday mood is <laughs> yeah absolutely which the world uh, but yeah i mean i was thinking about what have i been doing i had a nice birthday like it was the day before lockdown so i did get to see some people i've just been watching loads of workaholics i've rewatched workaholics in like something ridiculous like a week maybe two weeks. I just watch a lot of TV, clearly. And I love workaholics. I usually don't like TV shows that focus around three men, especially three men, which are so like horrendous about women all the time. But the joke is always on them. So I do quite like it. And also it's got Blake Anderson in it, who I've had a crush on for years. So I like to, I like to watch him. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and then the next, my new plan now is to rewatch Broad City because I haven't had Abby and Alana in my life for a while, so I'm going to get on that. Nice. I think that's the thing, finding some things to get your teeth into for the winter. Yeah, like my thing as well is that like, at the minute I can't be bothered to find anything new to watch. I'm finding it too difficult to concentrate on new things, even if they are like light comedies or whatever. It's like I just want the like comfort of things that I know well. So I'm just re-watching stuff at the minute rather than finding anything new. We're all about that comfort TV. If I wasn't in the middle of a very, very long-winded rewatch of Buffy that is taking a lifetime with my housemates, I would have binged the entire series of Buffy like a couple times over this year because it would have been such great comfort food but no <sighs> we're stuck we're stuck in like midway through season six and my housemates just every time I'm like Buffy they're like mm, no. <laughs> yeah I've definitely done Buffy at least once this year and then I just go back to the seasons that I love the most so like that's always kind of on my radar especially now it's playing on channel four at like 11 o'clock at night so it's like if I'm like getting into bed and I want something on in the background, I'll just like pop it on. It's it's cool to see it on TV again. It's been so long. The thing that annoyed me the most about it is that they show Buffy but they, and they show Angel afterwards, but they didn't get Angel until they were already like in season six of Buffy. So they started Angel and it it's not the right point. So like you'll watch an episode of Buffy and then you'll watch an episode of Angel, which is so fucking confusing because like maybe Buffy's in it or whatever. And you've just watched an episode of Buffy where it's like season six and then she shows up like season four, Sarah Michelle Gellar in Angel. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? And I was getting really mad about it till the end. And he was like, you're such a fucking nerd. And I was like, I can't be the only one that's mad about that. <laughs> it's a very upsetting alignment. It really is. Misalignment. But yeah, it's not much else going on. Lockdown two, lockdown harder is happening right now. Lockdown 2, too festive, too furious. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well done. Lockdown 2, the living room is like step up to the streets, but there's no streets. No one's allowed out on the streets. <laughs> there are no streets. There are no streets. Oh god. Shall we have a lovely conversation about the fact that we're bribing people to do reviews for us now for you but once in return. <laughs> Let's talk about the bribery. Yay. We are running a cute little prize draw situation where if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you can leave a review and then you screenshot that review and you email it to us at her.materialspod at gmail.com that screenshot in that email will get you put into a prize draw for some super fun bookmarks and stickers and we will be drawing out when we hit 50 reviews, we'll draw out like 10 names. So that is a really good like one in five chance of getting something cool. Yeah, give us five stars on wherever you listen to us or on Facebook. It's really nice seeing reviews come in and hearing all your lovely words about 
me <laughs> me <laughs> and say <laughs> the reviews that we've had have been lovely and we have had a couple that haven't sent screenshots so we've got like a notification of a review but you whoever you might be haven't sent a screenshot to our email address please please do that because we cannot get in touch with you if we don't have your email address with a screenshot. We need to be able to email you and say, you want a thing, please give us your address. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So just, yeah, do remember that part of it. Also, thank you if you've just left us a review and, and you don't want freebies. That's cool too. But if you want the freebies, you got to email us. Hey, Faye. Hi. What would your demon have been this week? I have had a week off work and I have been doing a lot of walking actually and not not on purpose I know that sounds weird but like I've just had places to go where I've like walked to those places and I love walking Um, and it's nice because like in lockdown obviously I'll go out for walks and stuff but it's literally just like round the park with like no destination so it kind of gets a bit boring because like you're just walking the same route every day around the same places so it's been nice to walk some different places I uh, did a really nice walk with my friend Amy the other day around Nunhead Cemetery and I fucking love it there. We tried to go on Halloween, didn't we, Rachel? And it was raining, so we didn't make it. It was so rainy. Yeah, I was very sad. I wanted to be spooky for Halloween. So I was thinking about like, oh, like what would be a good walking companion? And I know we've done like dogs for the last couple of weeks. So I was like, I'm not going to choose a dog, although a dog would be a really great walking companion. And I thought when I'm walking through like, especially like areas that are more like woodland areas i'm like always really interested in the like nooks and crannies around trees and like what would be in the little you know like sometimes you get like tiny little gaps in like trees and stuff i would love to know like what's in there so i was like oh maybe i'd have like a little mouse demon and then like the little mouse demon could go in and have a look and then tell me tell me what's going on and, and get into all the like small places that i can't get into that's cute i like that a lot adventure mouse yeah adventure <laughs> mouse love it what would your demon be i've also gone quite woodlandy we are headed into the winter months it's cold it's dark you just want to be cozy to be honest i feel like i'm headed into hibernation so i was like looking at british woodland creatures who hibernate and just the first thing that came up was a hedgehog and i was just thinking yeah that's perfect like it's one of the only four mammals in the uk that hibernates oh what are the other three do you know hedgehogs are only one of three british mammals that actually hibernate the others are dormice bats and then it says oh the others are dormice and bats so yeah there's two others but then it also says mason bees queen bumblebees and butterflies also hibernate but they are not mammals Mm. but yeah so a little hedgehog and also because like as it's getting colder and darker i'm getting grumpier i'm getting pricklier so a hedgehog feels just right love it yeah 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 oh i love hedgehogs they're so fucking cute you know when it's a bit chilly and you just want to tuck your hands away and your feet away and like tuck all your limbs away and just be a little ball of warmth i remember once when i was a teenager i was walking down a road with my friends and there was a little hedgehog and it was like in the middle of the road and it clearly, because it was near like a field where we were, and it clearly just got a bit lost. Or it was maybe like running from something, and it was all stuck, and it like it was all disoriented. And I was like, I cannot. This hedgehog is gonna fucking die if we don't do anything. So I, I, I like tucked it in my little my little jacket, and I took it back to the field, and it was really scared. But I was like, look, you need help. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you can be scared now for like two seconds and not die. Like, that's fine. But they're just so cute. <laughs> but yeah, it took a while to like actually pick it up because of its spikes. <laughs> and it was really trying to spike me. And I was like, look, I'm trying to do you a favor here. <laughs> it used to be quite a big thing of like having to check 
the because tonight is bonfire night in the UK at the time of recording. Yes, bonfire night. But it used to be a big thing, like the village bonfires around us, that you would have to like go and people would build the bonfire like days before. But then hedgehogs would be like, "Oh my god, what is this amazing mansion that's just been built next to my little hedgerow? Like, oh, what an amazing place to live!" And so you'd have to go and check for hedgehogs. And we had quite a few that ended up getting rescued. It's really sad. <laughs> I saw. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that actually, because I saw. Uh, I think it was like a Facebook ad or something for like RSPCA. And it was that exact warning because we had similar situations when we were kids. And it just showed you a full on picture of a burnt hedgehog. I was like, oh no. I don't want to fucking see that. Keep an eye out on your hedgehogs, folks. Mm. Oh, also, I saw a thing. You might have already listened to this episode, but I saw a tweet from Helen Zaltzman, obviously, of the illusionist podcast among others they have done an episode for bonfire night and it might be an old one they might have just been resharing it but did you know that the term like guy as in like saying guys like hey guys comes from guy fox did you know that i feel like i do know that i didn't know that i blew my fucking mind i was like what it's amazing. But I also think maybe I know that because it is an old episode of The Illusionist and I've heard it before. But it's funny because I see I see the term guys, like saying hey guys, is very like an Americanism. Which so it's interesting that it came from the UK. Yeah. Facts for everyone. Word corner. <laughs> Last chapter, Will and Lyra each went on their own fact-finding missions in Will's world. Will contacted his father's lawyer and went to the library and the Institute of Archaeology to research his father's disappearance. Lyra found her way to an amazing and unusual museum where she encountered the creepiest of creepers. Ew. (laughs) The alethiometer guided Lyra to a university lab where she met Mary Malone, a physicist studying unusual shadow particles. In this chapter, we learn more about Lyra and Will's dynamic as they hide in our Oxford together. They head back to Chittagatze to find a bunch of kids terrorising some poor cat. No. Will finally reads the letters from his dad. All right, here we go. Lyra finds Will on the bench. She starts to tell him about Mary, but he's more concerned with the fact that he didn't see her come in and he's having like a real minute there. A bit like when he was in the museum in the last chapter, right? He's kind of just a bit spaced out. It sounds like he's essentially had another panic attack because he's clearly, if he's not heard her come up to him and sit next to him on the bench, like, yeah, I think he's been in another little moment after he ran away from the guy outside the lawyer's place. Yeah, definitely. So she says that he wasn't paying attention and that it's a good thing that she found him there because there's police around. And then there's this whole thing with the police. Basically, what happens is Lyra can sense the police looking at Will. So she goes up to the police and pretends to be his sister and asks for directions. Last week, I remember saying, or last episode, I remember saying to you, oh, it's so interesting how similar Will and Lyra are and how good they are at lying. And then this chapter has definitely made me realise they might share that trait of being good liars but they lie in very different ways they approach it from totally different sides definitely yeah and i think each side have got a valid point lyra's like look i've thrown these police officers off now because like they were looking at you and they were thinking maybe that's that kid we're looking for but they know that you don't have a sister so me pretending to be your sister has thrown them off and will's like how fucking dare you that's not how I do things. Like, I just kind of, like, make myself invisible. Yeah, he says a great thing, a great little line is, 
You should just keep quiet and still and they'll overlook you. I've been doing it all my life. I know how to do it. Your way, you just, you make yourself visible. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't play at it. You're not being serious. I feel like they're both kind of, so Lyra is using, likes to use lies as camouflage and Will likes to blend in as camouflage and use lies when that doesn't work. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Or like use lies to help with the camouflage, but Lyra's like really blatant. She uses lies to attract attention that sometimes work as camouflage. But I can see why I can see why he's mad. One interesting thing that I made a note of is that it's interesting that Lyra knows who the police are and what they do. Because we haven't seen like any kind of police or anything in Lyra's world, have we? I guess like a public official in uniform. We don't know what the magisterium type of police look like what they dress like but i imagine there's a there's a line that she could draw there that is this is clearly a public official with say they're walking past with like a baton or something like it's very clear that they are police officers so i think she recognizes whatever parallel that must be to whatever the magisterium version is in her world i would like to keep an eye out for like more of those if there is them because it's interesting some things are so different that she's like i cannot believe this shit but then other like subtler things are like Okay, so she knows who police officers are. It's like, what else is kind of similar? Elira says some very Lyra things in response. I think she's... I think they're both coming from, like, angry places, but also, like, the right place. Like, neither of them is particularly ill-meaning, but, like, Lyra defends herself and is like, you don't think I know about lying in that? I'm the best liar there ever was, but I ain't lying to you and I never will. I swear it, you're in danger. And if I hadn't done that just then, you'd have been caught. Didn't you see them looking at you? Because they were. You ain't careful enough. If you want my opinion, it's you that ain't serious. And I'm like, yes, back and forth, back and forth. Like, I love this dynamic. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. Do you think as well that, like, Will might be a tiny bit but her because like he was the one showing Lyra around his world and now she's just done this thing which has actually worked whether he likes to admit that or not it did throw the police off and it's now like Lyra in this moment Lyra's kind of looking after him also I added to that could be that Lyra's trying extra hard to help him because she's aware it's his world and he's helped her already also there's the added element of the alethiometers told her that she ought to be helping him and we kind of get another little moment in a minute where she tries to use the alethiometer to prove herself like she has done so many times before but with will it doesn't shake out the same way and i love that but yeah she kind of drops it a little bit here when she's having this conversation with him they're they're talking about whether or not they're being serious and they're both like i'm doing this thing for you at my personal risk and lyra's like i'm doing this thing for you at my personal risk and i think they both feel like they're giving a lot and not getting a lot lyra mentions will's dad is it before We get that. I just have to pull out this one bit where she says, no one should speak to her like this. She was an aristocrat. Oh my God, yes. What the fuck, Lyra? It's right in the middle of this argument. It's not something we've heard from her before. Like that has to be something that's coming out of like an insecurity to do with her like interactions with Will because she's not been a snobby aristocrat when she's been around the Egyptians or around the bears. That's what I thought. I thought that it's really strange that she has thought that maybe it's because some of the insecurity about being in a brand new world maybe this is my thing it's like would you class her as an aristocrat like even when she's in jordan like i wouldn't i mean maybe since she found out asriel's her father and he's technically a lord and she knows that like her mother is Coulter and she's very high up in the magisterium like it's a lot of elements that are added to the parcel that is lyra that she didn't know about when we were seeing like scrappy Lyra flinging clay at people in the in the clay beds like but even so like 
if Asriel's her uncle, her fa- and he's a lord, her father would probably have also been a lord, her imaginary dad, the one that doesn't exist. Yeah, it's just, you don't get that impression from her all through any of the first books. So I kind of call bullshit on that line, to be honest. And also it's just gross. I just don't think it's Lyra. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't feel like Lyra. It is gross. I know we've had like other inklings of it when we've called her out for like being a little shit in terms of like, I don't do, I don't wash, uh, I don't wash, somebody washes me or like, I don't make the food, somebody does that for me. But this level of it, I'm just a bit like, no. I don't really see Lyra seeing those classifieds. I can see her being like, oh, that's a job that servants do because she's used to that and that is an indication of her class and like her social status. But I don't know that she's that aware of it. I think as a child, she's just like, oh, but other people just do your dishes and you have cleaning staff and you have this and you have that. But I don't think she's like, I'm an aristocrat. Like I don't see that in, in her. But it's, a, it's on the page. Maybe she is a little fucking snob. <laughs> Who knows? I know we've called Will out on him being mean to Lyra when there was no need to be mean to Lyra, which I still stand by. But this argument between them, I actually think it's probably good for Lyra. Like, I, she's not really had anyone push back on her before in this way. Like, Roger would have never, like, someone that's her age, like, Roger would have never done that to her. Like, all her friends, friends in, like, quotes, because they weren't really her friends. She followers. Just kind of, yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> they would have never have done that to her. So I do think it is good that they can kind of have these arguments where they're both, like, n- neither of them are holding back. They're just full on, like, having an argument. I think it is good for her to have someone push back. Also, I think Will's point is quite valid in terms of like, Lyra's lying. I think she's, again, I think she's trying really hard to be useful. But in this situation, she's strolling up to a police officer in a world she doesn't really understand how that functions. She just noticed, oh, it's a figure of authority and they're looking at him funny, I'll do my lying thing. But she didn't know how that was going to shake out. She doesn't understand those structures really because it's a completely different world. So it was quite dangerous, but equally, who knows what would have happened if instead of going up to them, she'd have just elbowed Will and said, they're looking at you. And if he'd have done his tactic of just looking down and looking away, that might have made him more suspicious. They're both in the right and they're both in the wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, Will is very shocked when Lyra mentions his dad. And this next bit is very interesting because basically Lyra knows about uh, Will's dad because of the alethiometer, right? Will is like, how fucking dare you? That's personal. I'd never really thought before about how there can be like issues with consent around the alethiometer. Like, it's not something that had like come up in my brain. Um, like Lyra's like, oh, but it only tells me like what I need to know or whatever. That's not really an excuse. Like you're still asking about someone's life. And the thing is as well, it's like, this is, it kind of ties into the whole destiny thing as well, doesn't it? Like, the alethiometer is telling her stuff because she, well, we assume because she has this destiny to fulfill and she needs to know this shit, right? But it's like, at what point do you, does it become like an issue with consent when you're finding out personal things about someone that they don't want you to know? Oh, absolutely. I think it's one thing to ask the alethiometer, is this new person that I've met safe? And another thing to ask about their like, it's like meeting somebody new and getting somebody to do a background check on them. Yeah, it feels like an invasion of your like privacy. And also just have a conversation. Once you've had that initial, yes, they're not gonna murder you from the alethiometer and you know that you're the immediate only pressing thing to know is like is this person safe to be around if the answer is yes then it's also obviously safe to ask them questions about their life and find out what they're comfortable telling you it's such a betrayal to ask those questions 
behind Will's back. And I, yeah, I fully understand his reaction. But also for Lyra, I think she's probably really thrown by it because I don't think anybody's ever called her out on it before. That everyone's so impressed that she can read it that she's not thought about the implications and the morality of asking it questions that she has no right to. She's been using it successfully to prove herself, like we said last episode with Yoffa Ratnison and then with Mary Malone. She like gets it out in front of someone new and like shows that she has this amazing skill and they're awestruck by it and they think she's great and they think it's great. And this is the first person she's encountered where she's used the alethiometer and they've been like, oh, hey, wait, that's not, that's not cool. Yeah, totally. <laughs> There's a bit where um, they're having this back and forth about whether she should have used the alethiometer to find out about Will. And it says something about, you could have just asked me yesterday or it says something about it being yesterday that they met. And I was like, how has this only been a day? Like, how did they only meet yesterday? And also, in this paragraph that Lyra's got about trying to defend, like, why she used the alethiometer, she mentions a private peep show. Like, would Lyra know what that was? I bloody hope not. That is off. A 12-year-old child should not know that. Should not know that phrase enough to use it as, like, a simile in an explanation of something. No. Yeah. Like, she might understand the concept of like a peeping Tom, perhaps, because that's something that like a grown-up might mention if they were like admonishing somebody for doing something that's like uh, earwigging or eavesdropping or any of the things that you would usually compare that to. But a private peep show is like a very like specific reference. It's very Victoriana though, and it very much seeks Lyra back in that era that Philip's kind of created within her world. Yeah, it's kind of like last chapter, right, where it was that one about being a, what was a simile about maid and like... Oh, a duchess? Duchess, yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. But again, she's a duchess and then there's this thing about her being an aristocrat. I think maybe it's Phil just trying to remind us that like, whilst the world's are like parallel in time technically, attitudes and social advancement wise Lyra's is a fair way behind Will's in terms of like a lot of things yeah absolutely also Will does not give a flying fuck that she trusts murderers he just completely just goes past that he doesn't question her on why she trusts murderers at all he's just like Meh, whatever but like that happens with Will for a lot of things like he lets a lot of things just like slide like he doesn't he didn't question her about the alethiometer last chapter I know we've got into it this chapter but like a lot of stuff that Lyra says, he just like lets go over his head a little bit. He just doesn't question her on stuff. I think he's just really low on spoons. I think he's like used up a heck of a lot of his emotional and processing capacity dealing with all of the stuff to do with his dad, bumping into a random strange girl with a magical changing animal that talks, finding a whole other... Well, like he's used up so much capacity that I think a lot of the like obvious questions you might think of just aren't... There isn't space for them. Because right now... Lyra mentions all this stuff about Will, tells him all of this stuff about himself, which must be really... I would feel quite shaken if somebody just came up to me that I never knew and then told me a bunch of really personal stuff that I'd spent my life trying to conceal or hide or whatever. And then his response is kind of like, oh, well, you could have just asked me instead of that thing. Did it say whether my father was alive or dead? And Lyra's like, no, because I didn't ask. And then he doesn't say, well, can you ask it then, please? Yeah, please, can you ask it, yeah. That would surely be the next thing, because he's clearly trying to find out about his dad, but he's obviously just not functioning on that level right now. Like, he's got so much going on. Yeah, and also I think, I agree with you on that, but I also think that he's still in this mindset that he has to do it on his own. And he's very, like, protective over what he's doing. And, like, obviously they have this little conversation here about trust in a minute and they agree to trust each other. But I think Lyra trusts him implicitly, but I don't think he trusts Lyra yet, even though he says that he does. No. 
Oh, we get this little quote here, which is nice. It says, he was so tired and there was not the slightest possibility of sleep in this world. Lyra wasn't usually so perceptive, but something in his manner made her think. He's afraid, but he's mastering his fear, like Yorick Bernison said we had to do. Like I did by the fish house at the frozen lake. Yorick, yeah. call back. Miss you, Yorick. Miss you, Yorick. Oh. Hi, bear dad. <laughs> yeah. Hi, bear dad. Yeah. I like that description of him, though, as well, because, again, he's functioning in a place of fear. He's functioning in, like, a perpetual state of anxiety and fear and is attempting to master it, which is why he's potentially coming off a little bit cold quite a lot of the time as well. Yeah. Lyra, learning to be more perceptive can only be a good thing. And Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lyra, we love you. Yes, we do. (laughs) Next, we get a mention of Roger for the first time. So for the first time in this book, five chapters in, we get Roger. This is big as well. I think this is the first time Lyra's actually said it out loud. It's probably a very cathartic moment for her to be able to say what happened to her out loud, but also I can imagine how difficult that was for her to say. She's only had a few days to process it, and I'm amazed she isn't crying by the end of that sentence, to be honest. I agree. She tells... So basically, she tells Will about Roger and what happened to Roger and how she betrayed him. Will doesn't say anything. I'm like, come on, Will. Throw her a fucking burn. Like, I know that you're worried and tired and you've got so many things going on, but this girl has just told you about how her best friend died and how she thinks it's her fault and you can't give her anything. Yeah. Not happy about it. I'm not happy about it. Again, it's Lyra's being perceptive and taking on Will's emotions and he's not doing the same for her. And they're both embroiled in their own shit and it's all also both to each of them only happened days previous to when they've actually met each other so it's like i just want to take them both to therapy (laughs) (laughs) yeah not together separately both they can deal with their shit and then then they can come and have their adventure and pay more attention to each other's feelings yeah yeah exactly (laughs) that'd be nice right (laughs) so they can't go back through the window until it gets dark so they go to the cinema Will's classic hiding place and this description of Lyra is basically me in the cinema with like all the food and like just really excited to be in the cinema remember cinemas question cinema hot dogs yay or nay yay I fucking love a dirty hot dog no no I love them when you go to like a Christmas market and they do those like oh like the German yeah yeah I much prefer the like horrendous dirty hot dogs that sit in like that disgusting hot dog water Uh, and they're just like probably like 10% meat oh fucking love them i love a cinema hot dog would eat one all day forever oh no i just (laughs) i've never ever trusted either myself with a snack that that is that potentially messy in the cinema (laughs) or just a cinema snack like that like something about like the like gross cheese that they put on top of the nachos in a cinema and stuff as well like it's a cinema it's not a restaurant you're not gonna get good food like just have the popcorn and the pick and mix and leave it at that it's interesting because I agree with you on that dirty ass cheese. Like, no, thank you. But for some reason, I'm fine with a hot dog. I don't know why. <laughs> the cheese just disconcerts me so much. I can see Lyra finding it, like, absolutely novel. And it's a good way of getting a meal without having to be seen. Do you know what's interesting about that cheese? Well, it'll make you eat it even more. I can eat it and not feel like shit. So, for the listeners. Zero lactose yeah. content then. I'm, I'm yeah. lactose intolerant, so if I can eat a cheese-based it's it's not cheese based. That's the point. Like if I can eat it, it's not going to cheese flavored product. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that makes you wonder oh, about no. what is actually in it. Well, it's, it's the fact that it's supposed to be like melted cheese, except for it's not because it melted cheese then hardens again. It has a point at which it becomes cheese, cooled cheese, <laughs> yeah. just cheese. But the cinema cheese is like it just it never goes. It's in a perpetual state of ooh, I'm melted. 
Ugh. I just dread to think about what's in there that's stopping it from being cheese. <laughs> I mean, what's not in there is actual cheese. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> popcorn is so much better. Oh, I love popcorn. I could eat popcorn forever. Oh, my God. I miss the cinema. I miss cinema popcorn. When we went to the premiere, we were saying when we were there, that that's the first time we'd each been to the cinema since, like... For me, it was February, I think, this year. Which And I used to go to the cinema all the time. But even then, it's not the same because it's everyone's three seats apart from each other, which is great. Well done, BFI. Loved it. They, like, took out the seats in between our seats. But, like, everyone's also wearing a mask. You can't shove handfuls of popcorn in your face and drop popcorn all over yourself, as is <laughs> traditional, when you're wearing a mask. Like, it doesn't work. Yeah. So I had a thought here, right? Because they obviously go to the cinema. And I was like, what would they have seen? Oh my God. I was wondering this, but I didn't do the Google. Did you do it? I did. So I thought to myself, okay, let me have a little look into this. So the book came out in 1997. So it was written before that, but let's just go with the fact that this is 1997, right? So it mentions in the paragraph that there's kids in it. So it has to be a kid-friendly film. Mm -hmm. So, and it also mentions that it's still like eight o'clock. And it's hot outside. So I'm putting that at like July, August time, right? So <laughs> Rachel's face is hilarious. I'm loving this. <laughs> I'm loving this super sleuth cinema fae. I'm so here for it. So I like had a Google at like UK box office, uh, like July and August 1997. And I've whittled it down to three films. So number one, Matilda. But that came out in January. So would it realistically still be in the cinema in July and August because I know like back in the 90s back in the day before like streaming and shit was a thing they would have they would leave like um films in cinemas for a lot longer than they do now so it's potential the other one Mr Bean the Mr Bean movie (laughs) okay that came out in August of 97 and also Space Jam that came out in March in 1997 so uh, and all the others were like a bit too adult and also i could only find the it was only the top ones of each of each like week it wasn't like all of the movies that came out so it might have been another one but you would assume the top ones had the most screenings as well do you think they saw matilda because they saw two films so do you think they saw matilda mr bean or space jam I think Matilda and Space Jam, because they'd be my personal two preferences. Yeah, I agree. Within that, I think Lyra would love the magic of Matilda. Yes. And I think she would like seeing a little girl. Yeah. Abs- yes. Oh my God. I rewatched Matilda the other day. It's so I bloody love good. Matilda. It's so Mara great. Wilson is like, oh, well, oh, I just want to give her a big old squish. She's so cute. And like. Have you heard all the stories around Danny DeVito and how he was with her on set and stuff? No. So her mum was really ill at the time and she was in hospital. And I can't remember if she. Oh, she did. She died. Um, And so Danny DeVito and the woman that played plays the mum in Matilda, who is Danny DeVito's wife in real life, or was? I don't know if they're still together. They kind of looked after Mara and, like, brought her up on set and stuff. And do you know the scene where she dances? Um, and, like, she's, like, pointing at shit. She didn't want to do it, so he got all the all the crew to dance so that she didn't feel embarrassed. It's so cute. Mara Wilson, as well, didn't think that her mum would get to see uh, Matilda, like, the film before... She died, but it turns out the years later, Danny DeVito told her that he, he he showed it to her in hospital before she passed away. So she did get to see it. It's the fucking that's sweetest really thing sweet. ever. Oh, that's so sweet. There is a podcast called Don't Tell the Babies That Her Mum's Dead, hosted by Brittany Ashley, 
who is excellent and one of the first interviews she does is with Mara Wilson about her experience of that and it is well worth a listen even if it's a little bit sad. Oh yeah I've listened to that episode of course I know that her mum passed away but yeah I, I, I second that it's a very good podcast but yeah Matilda fucking love it but also I did think if she'd have seen Space Jam surely she would have it would have been mentioned that like she lost her mind about space travel <laughs> not space travel like the cartoon aspect of Space Jam because I don't think that would be a thing if cinema isn't a thing in her world, I don't think like cartoons would be. Oh, I really want to know what films Philip envisioned her watching. <laughs> put that. I'll put that on our list of questions to ask him. <laughs> yes, I really want to know because also like it's whatever will because like he's on ordering the ticket, so he may have just picked out whatever he fancied, which is why I thought maybe more Space Jam. But Will goes to sleep straight away, so I don't think he cared. True. I would have thought that he would have gone for the busiest one as well, so that they'd blend in more. Or if he's thinking, like, I'm a big brother taking my little sister to the cinema, what would that look like? What would we watch? He'd definitely pick Matilda, because that's something you take your little sister to see. Oh, well done, Faye. (laughs) Research corner. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, listeners, if you have thoughts about what you think Lyra and Will would have seen, let us know. You know where to find us. They watch the films. Lyra is immensely fascinated by it, despite the fact that she's seen witches and bears and demons. Oh my. Uh, She... (laughs) is like, oh my God, that is the best thing I've ever seen. Like, it's better than anything we've got in my world, which I'm like, all right, Lyra, but like, you've got giant armoured bears. So like, I'd rather have those in the cinema, to be fair. (laughs) She's amazed. Basically, they, when they come out, it's still a little bit light. So Will's like, okay, we will go and watch another film. They go and watch another film. And then they bought hamburgers and Lyra thinks it's that they're the best thing ever as well and like the concept of like walking and eating being normal on like a street being like so novel to her I agree about the hamburgers I love dirty like I suppose it's the same as my hot dog thing I love (laughs) dirty fucking street burgers don't ones that you get at a festival it like whenever I smell fried onions because obviously at burger stands they usually have fried onions it makes me think of being at a festival and like do you know there's like tiny thin burgers which are like a little bit thicker than the burgers that you get at mcdonald's but you know that there's like kind of like the hot dogs that it's just really shit meat i fucking love that i love it i'm disgusting i'm sorry everyone (laughs) (laughs) there's something good about that but i'm i'm a bit picky sometimes i won't always get like a a good dirty burger as they're walking along eating their burgers lyra goes into like full Lyra mode and I'm really here for it this is the chatty Lyra that told Yorick her entire life story when she was like traveling with Yorick and the Egyptians this is that Lyra so she is telling Will about meeting Mary Malone and what she plans to do with that and then she basically goes into telling the story about Roger and she kind of goes all the way back to the beginning all the way back to Azrael in the retiring room and like just tells her whole story to Will and she's saying like Will's being a really good listener, but I have some doubt as to whether he's actually listening. I don't. I think that he heard her mention like armored bears and witches and like because uh, his line, isn't it? Like after she's finished, it's just like, well, he can't even conceive of it. Like it just can't be true. So I feel like he's just completely switched off. I don't think he listened. It does say that he listened attentively and with sympathy like without comment but attentively and with sympathy so it does sound like he is at least listening a bit but yeah he doesn't seem amazed (laughs) do you think that when it says that he's listening with sympathy he's listening with sympathy because he's like oh this poor girl making up these stories that aren't true i don't know that he doesn't believe her 
Like, I don't think he's thinking that she's lying, but I think he doesn't believe his situation. Because, like, there's no reason for him not to believe her because he's been to another world. He's seen things he can't fathom as it stands. So he's kind of just gone, oh, look, some more unfathomable stuff. I just think that it throws me that he's listening attentively and with sympathy because, like, he she told him that her, her best friend died and he didn't give a shit about that. So, like, why would he suddenly be listening attentively and with sympathy? I mean, like, I'm glad that he is because it's about time. Yeah, I think there's just, there's a lot of stuff going on and it's hard to pass out what is like I, I kind of call I kind of call bullshit on him just listening to that entire thing and and actually listening without actively participating in, in it being a conversation and asking more questions. I question him actively listening and not speaking and asking questions. I question that he could listen to that entire monologue and fully listen without like phasing out and starting to worry about all of his own shit again. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say he kind of enjoyed the sound of her noise and her chatter but wasn't really paying attention because he had his own shit going he says he's listening attentively and i just don't believe that that's where will's at at the moment yeah i agree i agree it's a weird one they need to go back through the window basically so that's where they head they go back through and will feels a great weight lifted off his shoulders you can tell like even though we knew it anyway it's kind of highlights even more how tense he was back in his oxford yeah i don't know if you've ever felt that that like you didn't realize how small you'd made yourself during the day and you like get home or you have a shower you do something that makes you feel safe and refreshed and suddenly you realize that you're back to like a normal size again and you're like you can actually take a full breath all the way into your lungs and you realize that you've not done that done that all day like I feel like that's that's the kind of zone he's in and I I feel that (laughs) I know that (laughs) I yeah I agree I feel that as well you know it know it well so then they hear something screaming and it's not human they run after it and end up in front of the big tower that we popped a pin in a couple of chapters ago my sticker on this bit is well absolutely fuck these kids because they're hurting a cat basically the cat that will that will followed into this world has obviously stuck around because where else is it gonna go and there's just like a semicircle of kids like throwing stones and like perking it with sticks and just fuck those kids. I understand that there's clearly, I think it mentioned it a little bit later, like, oh, you don't know about cats, like, you don't know about spectres. There's something, it maybe in this world, they like something to do with cats. But I'm like, no, don't do that. Don't do that to cats. And I know that you have similar feelings. It's absolutely horrible. Would you like to hear my avenue of research? I would, yes. The implication is they're scared of cats. It's mentioned at the point at which Will has like rescued the cat, gotten them away from the children. The children, there's like a kid that wants to start a fight with Will, but he's holding back, not because he's scared of Will, but because he's scared of the cat that Will is holding. And I'm like, okay, so what? where is this fear of cats coming from? Oh, she's getting comfy. She's getting comfy. She's going to read you her cat research, some of which includes some excellent images. An interesting thing is in the Middle Ages... Cats started to become a symbol of evil. One article that I've read says, this seems to have arisen, at least in part, because of cats' apparent laziness. Rude. Rude. Often in religious art, cats represented lust and could be seen in depictions of the fall of Adam and Eve. And it's also been extended to cats being a symbol of Satan, especially black cats, which is why they're such a, a symbol of Halloween now, and that still withstands. Unfortunately, cats became targeted creatures in Europe throughout the Middle Ages 
uh, their presence was unwanted because of the religious associations and they were frequently killed on account of it, which is fucking horrible. But they like they were almost driven to extinction extinction in some areas that were like super devout and didn't want cats. But as a result, rat populations increased throughout Europe. And with cats nowhere to be seen, keeping the population of rats down, the plague spread. <gasps> Shut so the fuck up. So you get what you fucking deserve. What a twist. Don't, what a fucking don't twist. Don't kill cats or you'll get the plague. <laughs> oh my God. Love it. Love that story. Yeah. So they started to get like welcomed back into households again because we don't want rats because rats bring plague. Cats in general have been welcomed back into the home, but black cats are still, consi- there's still like that superstition hangs more around black cats than other cats. Which a really sad fact is that in like rescue homes and stuff, black cats are less likely to get adopted than other cats. I really like black cats. And a big part of that is because it's hard to photograph them and people like to have Instagrammable pets and that's fucking shit too. Get a black cat. Everyone wants to be a witch. What's wrong with you? It also led me down a rabbit hole of looking at other reasons why cats were seen as evil. There's just some bloody brilliant artwork that I need to send to you. But one of the things that really got me is that... As early as 1180, the warning bells were sounding. This is in an article from Nautilus. The gullible were told and believed that during satanic rituals, the devil descends as a black cat before his devotees. The worshippers put out the light and draw near to the place where they saw their master. They feel after him, and when they have found him, they kiss him under the tail. (laughs) (laughs) So... There's just this image of people like summoning the devil and then kissing a cat's bum hole. Oh <laughs> my god! No, I'm gonna send. We're gonna link to this article because it's bloody brilliant. Summoning, summoning the devil. I'm here for kissing a cat's ass. I am not. <laughs> cat's asses are fucking disgusting. There's like another amazing image of basically there was a sect of devil worshippers in Germany who involved black cats in their rituals because of the links between cats and the legend of the Nordic goddess of sexuality, who's called Freya. And she's often depicted with a pair of large cats that depict her like two, the, her two sides, um, which are fecund- fecundity, fecundity and ferocity. And she's depicted uh, in a chariot being drawn by two cats. Aww. It's amazing. I, I'm going to send you, the, we're going to link to this article because I'm not explaining it super well, but there's a whole lot of amazing stuff of myths around cats and superstitions around cats and some amazing images. There's a particular picture of a demonic anti-saint with her evil cat and she's like riding a donkey and holding up this cat and this cat looks like really pissed off and it's amazing. You had a great time doing this. I had so much fun. I love cats. I'm like, yeah, I used to be obsessed with like ancient Egypt when I was a kid and like learning about that because they worshipped cats. And I was like, yes, as they well should, cats are bloody brilliant. And then so reading this whole part of like why people were stupid enough to hate cats and try and get rid of cats. And then they got the plague because that's what you deserve if you're going to be a dick to cats. Like, yeah, I do enjoy that. Yeah, I enjoy that. I love that. this line of questioning. <laughs> <laughs> so basically... I think they've got spectres because they've been mean to cats. That's their plague. Well, they deserve it. They fucking deserve it. Yes. So, (laughs) amazing. Well done on that research. I hope you enjoyed my extra fun cat-themed avenue. (laughs) I definitely enjoyed it. I hope everybody else did. You mentioned the bit about Will and that kid, like, gearing up for a fight. So, basically, Will pushes the kid to the ground, right, to get the car. And then, like you said, when he's got the car, the kid wants a fight. And it says, there was a current of electric hatred between the two of them that only violence could earth. This is interesting to me because I was wondering, have you ever been there? 
Have you ever been there with a, an electric current between you that only violence could could solve? I have never hit a person. I'm a very non-violent person. I've never felt the felt ang- well. I felt angry enough to want to like hit an inanimate object, maybe, or like punch a wall, or like scream into a pillow. But I've never like I've never gotten into a fight. <laughs> that is a good thing. I haven't. I've been in a few, not in many, and most of them are, uh, were me defending other people there was one time where i got into a fight where it, it was literally like what was described there the, um, the only way that it could be solved was with violence because there was an electric current between us but i will say that it really doesn't solve anything and it only made it worse so let's not be doing that i, I was a teenager by the way there's so many stories for me like you almost think that i was such a cunt when i was a teenager <laughs> I also think whenever something like that is described and someone's like, oh, an an electric energy between them that only violence could deal with. It's like, equally though, it's that energy where there's two people and they're like so angry and you're just like, they're like, kiss, 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 kiss. (laughs) 100%. Have you got to fight or you got to fuck this out? (laughs) 100% agreed. But also, no, because this is talking about children and also they shouldn't fight and they shouldn't kiss. Please don't do any of those things. (laughs) It's It's not big and it's not clever. Speaking from personal experience. They obviously don't have a fight because Will's got the cat. Oh, Pan. Pan has a minute here. Yay for Pan. He turns into like a spotted leopard whose teeth shone white as he snarled. And even Will, who recognised Pantalaemon, was frightened for a second. Also, just the pronunciation of Pantalaemon is definitely Pantalaemon. But I just keep saying Pantalaemon. I don't care. Just say what you want. (laughs) It's not like we don't know who you're talking about. That's true. That's true. Uh, so even Will, who recognised Pantalaemon, was frightened for a second. Its effect on the children was dramatic. They turned and fled at once. Yay, Pan! Yes, well done. Before they left, Lyra looked up at the tower. A growl from Pantalaemon prompted her, and just briefly, she saw someone there on the very top, looking down over the battlement rim. And not another child either, but a young man with curly hair. Put a pin in that. Put a pin in it! Take out the pin that we told you to put in about that tower. Take it out, and then just put it back in a little bit higher up. Because he's on the top of the tower. He's something at the top. Yes. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> they head back to the cafe after that. And uh, Will is like tending to to the cat. And there's some interesting like information about demons here, which we haven't really had before. Because it's the first time we've had a demon interact with an animal. Will had found a tin of condensed milk and the cat had lapped it, lapped it hungrily and then begun to lick her wounds. Pantalaemon had become cat-formed out of curiosity, and at first the cat had bristled with suspicion, but she soon realised that whatever Pantalaemon was, he was neither a true cat nor a threat, and proceeded to ignore him. We now know what realistically would happen if an animal and a demon encounter. Yes, yes. And we know that the animal would just be like, what the fuck are you, mate? You're not, you're not a cat, so not interested. <laughs> it also mentions like Lyra's kind of curious watching Will and the cat, and um, is just generally fascinated by like that relationship of it because like will's interaction with cats thus far has been his pet cat moxie we love moxie and lyra's interaction with cats and most other animals has been like as working animals so like if you have cats at jordan college it's to keep the mice away because they don't want the plague um (laughs) and it's just interesting her like kind of observing like oh pets because i think a lot of people probably wouldn't have pets in lyra's world because they have demons they have that animal companionship every single day of their life it doesn't sound like pets or a thing in lyra's world will puts honey on the cat's injuries and i did a double check is that the right thing to do is honey 
an okay thing to put on a wound? Yes, yes it is. Uh, Honey has an antioxidant, antibacterial and anti-inflammatory properties. It can be used as a wound dressing to promote rapid and improved healing and these effects are due to Honey's antibacterial action. Also, it has a high acidity because it's like thick. It kind of helps to form a layer and yeah, good on honey. So now we know if we're in the wild and we hurt ourselves, we need to find some honey and we need to find some sphagnum moss because that's what blood moss is. And we're just learning loads of great facts from Phil about <laughs> looking after injuries in the wild. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's not the easiest thing to find honey in the wild. No. <laughs> <laughs> but... Sure. Maybe just take, if you're planning on going into the wild, just take some honey with you just in case. Yeah. This cat is having an absolute sugar high if it's licking honey and it's just eating a whole bunch of condensed milk, which is the sweetest thing in the world. Like, this cat is... Having a great time. High on sugar. (laughs) (laughs) They talk about how bananas the kids were being and how Lyra says they would have killed her. I've never seen kids being like that. And Will says, I have. I'm assuming that this is a callback to him encountering bullying as a kid but at least lyra senses on this occasion that she says that he's looking closed and she doesn't ask further and it's like fairy fuck enough just don't if he's not into into telling you about it it's interesting as well that the differences between how they were kind of brought up because like when those kids were hurting that car i had a similar reaction to will in the sense of like i can definitely see kids being like that and uh, i think people that have been bullied would recognize that instantly and it's interesting that that doesn't, it's not happened to Lyra in her world. And I wonder if that's because of how she was the leader and maybe sometimes a bit of a bully as well. Not that she ever went so far as to be violent, I don't think, but the fact that Will recognises it and she doesn't, it kind of shows their levels of power within their own relationships with other children. Yeah, like within their own peer groups where they sit socially. Definitely. I... Just want to quickly call back to a line that we kind of missed because I was busy ranting about cats. (laughs) When Will initially rescues the cat, I just want to read this because I just think it's lovely. Will was already kneeling by the cat and then she was in his arms. She fled to his breast and he cradled her close and stood to face the children. And Lyra thought for a crazy second that that his demon had appeared at last. And I just... Uh, anyone with a cat at home knows that feeling of like oh my demon at last that was really beautiful and we because we skimmed quite quickly through that we missed it and i just wanted to cry (laughs) it shows will's connection with animals as well i think and also how important animals can be in will's world uh whereas lyra obviously we've already spoken about how they're maybe not seen as being pets but it shows that you can have a very deep connection with with animals in Will's yeah. world. In our world. Oh, our world. Yeah. Ooh. So yeah, after that, Lyra goes to bed. And then Will finally breaks out the green leather writing case. Oh my God, we've been waiting for so long. I know. <laughs> and cracks into these letters from his dad. First things that I would like to say is about this email paper letters. If you're writing a letter back home to your wife and child... Would you be this formal? Would you be this um, chit-chat about your day at work and really specifics of like the missions that you're going on? Or would you just be like, I really miss you. Kind of here's a bit of what's going on. But like, there's no, aside from like a sentence at the end of each of these letters, there's no affection. And also, I've kind of, just as you said that, it's just made me realise like, 
he, I'm assuming, is she writing back to him? He's not asking her anything about her, is he? <laughs> like, yeah, he's not like, please tell me about how the baby's doing. Please tell me about this. Or like, oh, has he taken his first steps? Or, oh, has he, I'm so sorry to have left you with all that childcare. Like, no concern from him to her. Just, here's what here's I'm what's doing. happening to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also like, here's what I'm doing. And a bunch of sensitive information that I probably am very secretive over. And I'm just going to post it across the ocean. It's not the cleverest thing, is it? Really? No. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I didn't even think of that, but I completely agree. Uh, Actually, one thing before we get into it, I just wanted to call out a quote that's really sweet. So it says, As he thought, they were letters written on airmail paper in black ink. These very marks were made by the hand of the man he wanted so much to find. He moved his fingers over and over them and pressed them to his face, trying to get closer to the essence of his father. It's like him hugging that postcard before he sent it to his mum. Oh, Will. Will. Well, don't worry, Will. You're not going to get any affection from these letters. (laughs) (laughs) The essence of your father is talking a lot of crap about coordinates. Um, Yes. Yeah. So I suppose basically there's no point going through every bloody line of these letters, but the point is, is that he's on an expedition. There's people in this expedition and he's kind of there under false pretenses, really, right? He's heard about this anomaly that ends up being the window uh, or a window to a different world. So not the same window that we've been through to Chichikatsia, but as far as we're aware, a different window. He keeps chatting shit about this physicist called Nelson and he's like, oh, he's right, dick. And then the next letter he's like, oh, actually, I think he knows about the anomaly as well and he's doing something to like try and find it. So they're mostly about him trying to find out that information about the window. And we learn that there are some Russian spies also looking for the window too. We now know why whoever it was that was looking for the writing case was looking for the letters because he literally sends the exact coordinates of where he's travelling to. Which again, going back to your point, what a fucking stupid thing to do in a letter. To your wife. What's she going to do with that information? Like She doesn't need it and it physically puts her in danger to have it. Why? Why? <laughs> You're supposed to be a clever man. Like he talks about playing dumb in like his last letter about oh, playing like empty in the head, like army man. And it's like, mate, you kind of are if you're sending this information. <laughs> you're making some very unwise moves there, friend. <laughs> totally. There's also blatantly a bit where he first um, has a drink with, I think it's Nelson, the uh, physicist. And then he's blatantly having a flirt with him to try and get information. He's like, I bet he can't explain Bigfoot. And like, oh my God, please tell me. Oh my God. Like trying to like tease him. <laughs> Definitely flirting. Love to see it. Is there anything else that you wanted to call out in those letters? My only thing was, we don't use the word Eskimo anymore, particularly. Inuit is preferred. He talks about having a conversation with an Inuit man who gives him the coordinates and also is super secretive about giving him the coordinates so why is he writing them down and sending them in a letter (laughs) and then also how the way that he slips into conversation with the physicist by asking him about bigfoot etc is then he mentions an inuit legend of a window to the spirit world and i was kind of like had a little look at some like myths and legends and stuff and what's the spirit world is like super prominent in a lot of inuit culture and folklore and lore and stuff Uh, I couldn't find anything super specific about a window or a particular legend about any windows to the spirit world. But I did see a lot of stuff to do with like rites of passages for like rites of passages within that culture. And some of them are to do with in some way having a journey to, through and with the spirit world. So that could be a factor in there that's kind of pulled in. 
but I couldn't find anything super specific. So if anyone who is much better at research than me has knowledge of any specific legends to do with windows to spirit worlds in Inuit culture, that would be amazing. And I would love to read it. Yeah, definitely. Also, it just made me think, do you think the newer versions of the books will still have the the word Eskimo and not have changed it to Inuit? Because in my books, which I don't know when they were published, it's obviously newer covers than yours. I wonder if it's something, because obviously we know they've made changes to the books. We've seen many of them. I wonder if it's something that they would thought they would have thought about changing. Well, also specifically, like even more so than Inuit, most people do prefer for you to, because Philip's clearly aware that this is happening in a specific area, he could actually name the peoples of that area because that is even more preferred than like the generalization. We don't know because Philip's not said, so we can't be more specific and be more respectful in that way, which is a shame. So Will finishes reading them. His last line in the last letter, which I is a little bit more than fondest, is wish me luck, my darling. I'll bring you back a trophy from the spirit world. I love you forever. Kiss the boy for me, Johnny. I think the boy has a name, so you know. <laughs> a little bit of affection in that last one. Just a little bit. Yeah. So Will is, like, his head is ringing. His dad has been describing the exact thing that he found by chance. There is definitely some destiny involved here, right? What are the actual chances that this would ever, ever happen? Yeah, I do just kind of want to read this out because it does kind of put together Will's story for us in a neat little package, I think. Will had been a year old when that letter was written. Six years after that, he had had come the morning in the supermarket when he realised his mother was in terrible danger and he had to protect her. And then slowly, in the months that followed, came his growing realisation that the danger was in her mind and he had to protect her all the more. And then, brutally, the revelation that not all the danger had been in her mind after all, there really was someone coming after her and these letters, after these letters, this information... He had no idea what it meant, but he felt deeply happy that he had something so important to share with his father. So, I just think perhaps the letters have, like, solidified it all for him. Yeah, he didn't know 100% that it was definitely the letters they were after, but this has confirmed it for him, finally reading them. And I think he's not only just realised that the fear wasn't was only in her head, he's realised that, like, this is how it all fits together. And, like, it is a combination of these things. And this is my heartbreaking package of reality. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of ends on like a bit of a like really heartbreaking quote, kind of hurtful, but just heartbreaking as well, just because of the situation that Will's in. But he says, but he felt deeply happy that he had something so important to share with his father that John Parry and his son Will had each separately discovered this extraordinary thing. When they met, they could talk about it and his father would be proud that Will had followed in his footsteps. And it goes back to what you were saying a couple of weeks ago, a couple of episodes ago, right? About there's so many like daddy issues in in the in these books and like this is Will's. It's very similar to what Lyra was going through with Azriel. The affection in those letters was very, very small. And yet Will is like pressing them into his soul to like... A- identify super hard with his father to be like we're both gonna do these great things and like he's such a great again this like great man complex and like we haven't met will's dad in person in the books we don't even know where he is but we're seeing this like idolization that will's doing for his dad that's so reminiscent of lyra for asriel and it's really i'm finding it really hard to read and i don't think i've ever read it in this way before I don't think I've ever fully made that connection between Asriel and John Parry and that whole like adventure dad, adventure dad shit father kind of thing because he's just, he's left his vulnerable wife and infant child and he's not even being particularly caring in the small amounts of communication he's doing and yet Will is kind of 
clinging on to it so tight. No, I agree. I agree. Lots of daddy issues. We love to see it. (laughs) We don't love to see it. What a chapter though. Yeah. I feel like in this book so far, Phil has been like, have a massive long chapter and then have a really small one. I am absolutely fine with it because I really enjoy that in one podcast episode we have to travel vast expanses of text and like really pick out the stuff that's important and then in another chapter that's smaller we can really pick things apart and I can go and research devil cats in the play. <laughs> exactly yeah yeah <laughs> and know that we have time for it it's great. <laughs> I love like uh, that we're continuing to learn more about Will and Lyra's relationship I think that's the, my favorite part of these books so far obviously apart from the time that we spent with Serafina which I really loved but yeah, the new the new dynamic between them and how I think Phil does a really, really good job of like laying that out and showing its progression. I agree, definitely. I think it's all about building that trust between Will and Lyra and they're getting there, but it is a slow process because I think they're both having to learn to do it, which I, I'm enjoying watching that process of. Do you have an award to give out this week? <laughs> I do. I'm going to give it to Pan. I know you gave yours to Pan last week, but I just really liked that he just came in his big leopard form and scared all the kids away. It was a nice little heroic moment for Pan, and we don't actually get those very much in terms of like that everybody else can see that he's being heroic. It's usually confined to just him and Lyra, but I liked that he did it in front of everyone to protect Lyra and Will, and yes, I'm here for it. We love Pan. We do. What about you? Who's your award for? It's for that poor fucking cat. Oh, of course it is. It deserves so much better. That cat literally led one of our new main characters into a whole new world and then just got the shit kicked out of it by some children. Oh. And that poor fucking cat, like, Will theorises in the chapter, he's like, this cat obviously wandered in and then couldn't find the window again. And I bloody well hope that he takes that cat and puts it back in its own world yeah. so it can go home and get some decent dinner. Oh, that poor cat. Bless that cat. At least it's okay now looking at Tony off its tail. It's going to be there for a while doing that. Get well soon, cat. Get well soon. Get well (laughs) soon. We love you. (laughs) Sending positive vibes and love to you, cat. This is your pre-credits reminder to leave us a review. Leave us a positive review. Give us five stars. Give us five stars. Screenshot it. Send us an email to head.materialspod at gmail.com. And that email with a screenshot of your positive review will be entered into a prize draw and we will give some lucky winners some free bookmarks and stickers. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rach. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about Lyra and Pan, you can find me hanging out on Twitter and Instagram at Fayley, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my old blog posts, I'm on Medium at Faye.ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about demons and dust and cats and plagues, 
I'm making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at rachemakes, on Twitter at rach underscore makes, and in my online shop, rachemakes.co.uk. A huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. We'll see you soon because we're now doing TV show episodes again. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> and, and don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well. Go hug a cat. Go hug a cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to hug a cat now. <laughs>